Blog Talk Radio. They said you wouldn't make it so far. And ever since they said it, it's been hard. But never mind the night you had to cry. So you had never let it go inside. You were too hard. You know exactly what you want. And be so believe. And you can never give up. Welcome. You are listening to Get Into It with Tina Conroy, and I am your host on Block Talk Radio. Today is August 27th, and we have the chat room open at blogtalkradio.com, as well as the phone line, and we'll be taking messages, taking callers. That number is 516-387-1936. Hello, everyone, and welcome if you're listening live or on the recording. And you may be listening any day of the week since all of my shows are recorded. Well, here we are in the last week of August. It is hard to believe, August 27th. I hope the summer has treated you well, and we know that we have so many beautiful days beyond August into the fall and September. But as we make this transition, we're also made the transition of a new moon. The new moon was August 25th, and the new moon brings about new things, manifestation. So it's pretty appropriate at this time of the year as we move from summer into fall, and even if you don't have school children, don't you feel that kind of getting back to school feeling that cleaning up our act, maybe our diet has been off because we've been having that great time and scheduling has a little bit off. And that's what it's all about in the summer. But getting back to new things, manifesting new things, maybe organizing, planning, different events and things like that. So look at that new moon energy coming in for you and Find what you can manifest in your life. Maybe there's things that have been kind of brewing on the burner, and now it's time to really take hold. So before I get a little bit into talking about my guest today, I want to do a brief centering with everyone. So if you're not driving, please go ahead and close your eyes. And just take a moment to center, connect to yourself, as we always connect on the show to ourselves, our spirit, and our intuition. So as you close your eyes, Take a nice, long, deep breath in and exhale away. I'm feeling your body settle, your eyes relax, your face relax. And just blessing everyone listening on the show, again live or on the recording, connecting to this higher place, our spirit. And as we connect to our health, connecting mind, body, and spirit. Connect to your intuition. And go ahead and place your hands on your heart. As we connect the mind and the body today, as we talk about the health, and we can integrate that. Just take a moment to feel your heartbeat. 
connect to your breath, and find gratitude. Gratitude for this moment. And take another breath in and exhale away. So I want to tell you a little bit about my special guest today. I'm so excited to have Dr. Lucy Gade on the show. So Lucy is the creator of Practice Good Health, the director of medical education, medical programming, and community outreach at Practice Body, Mind, Soul Company in Roslyn. Dr. Gade has deep personal interest in community health education and in promoting active individual participation towards staying healthy in body, mind, and soul. Lucy received a Master of Public Health degree in Community Health Education from NYU, School of Graduate Education, and her medical doctorate at Tufts University in Boston. For the past 10 years, Dr. Gade has been practicing clinical medicine with a holistic focus on women's health in Manhattan. Dr. Gade is currently enrolled in Dr. Andrew Wild's Fellowship in Integrative Medicine in Arizona, a program that has achieved international recognition as a leading integrative medical educational program. Her goal is to empower each person to actively seek a healthy lifestyle before illness arises and to assist those experiencing health issues to responsibly manage their treatment in partnership with providers. A mother of three beautiful children, Dr. Lucy is intent on creating a future for everyone that naturally supports good health and healing. So I love this topic today because we always hear many times about how our mind affects our health. And I'm so grateful to bring Lucy on the line to speak more about this. So I'm going to bring her on now. Hi, Lucy. Are you there? Hi, Tina. Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you great. How are you doing? Great. That was a lovely introduction and a good censoring, too. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to talk about this. There's so many of our listeners that struggle with this concept of, you know, mind and body, mind and health. And we all sort of know it now or we're learning more and more about it. But I know there's a lot of skeptics or, you know, questions about it. So I guess before we get into that, um, do you want to... Uh, let us know how you got involved with this. How did how did you get involved with integrative medicine? Since you came back, you came from a background of, um, you know, non-integrative. Well, that's true. I am a traditional medical doctor by training, and I did go to a U.S. medical school, like you said, and afterwards completed an OBGYN residency program in Manhattan. Following the training, I worked as a faculty attending at a busy New York City hospital and maintained a private practice in obstetrics, gynecology, and women's health. But even before becoming a physician, I attended graduate school for public health. It was during that time that I concentrated on community health education because from the beginning, I always viewed my involvement in medicine as a partnership with the patient and with the community. Over my years of experience, I thoroughly enjoyed every aspect of my training. But over the same time, especially more recently, I've begun to question more and more whether healthcare, as we experience it here in this country, is really providing all the answers or solutions to our problems. And that's what helped me um, to seek out additional training that could assist me in being a better healer in the true sense of the word. That's what led me to Andrew Wiles' program in Arizona. It's a program where um, basically you're taking the best out of traditional medicine and the best out of alternative therapies and and 
pushing them together in order to form a complementary, holistic approach to treating patients and diseases that take into account the mind and the body as one whole unit. Now, do you find that, so, you know, we hear this a lot of times. So do you feel like in the history of integrative medicine that there was a time that it was more prominent, I should say, and then we're kind of coming back to that, or is this something new? Like, you know, we in this in a lot of people and a lot of my listeners that are healers and spirit, you know, have a spiritual life and uh, yoga, meditation, maybe Reiki healing. We know this whole perception of mind and body, especially with energy work. But there's so many people out there that really wonder. So I guess historically, I'm asking was there a time where it was more prominent and then we're swinging back or is this something new? Well, I think that really mind-body medicine has a very rich history. And it's it really dates back to a very long time ago, 300 years ago. And during that time, virtually all medicine treated the body and the mind as an integral whole, as an integral whole unit. It was really around the 17th century where there was a separation introduced. And um, medicine generally began to dominate just focusing on the body and sort of putting the mind aside. I think that in recent years, there's been a newly activated interest in this connection and um, developing it and cultivating it because research has really shown that um, the data is now out there to show that there really is a benefit to paying attention to it as an integral unit. I can tell you more about the history, but before I do, I want to just share a story that really highlights this connection that I think everybody, including your listeners, can really um, get a grasp on. And okay. Do you mind if I tell a story? No, that would be great. I think that's great. Okay. So this story is an actual real patient case, and it's a story about Mr. Wright. And Mr. Wright was a patient who was diagnosed with lymphosarcoma and developed tumors up to the sizes of oranges in his neck, his groin, and his axillary regions. His spleen and liver were enlarged, and his thoracic duct was obstructed, which necessitated his chest to be tapped to withdraw one to two liters of fluid almost every day. Unfortunately, in the hospital, his response to the treatment of the day, and this was around the 1950s, was not so successful. Interestingly, his circumstances soon shifted because the hospital in which he was staying had been chosen as an evaluation site for a new experimental drug to treat his disease. Although Mr. Wright did not meet the criteria for inclusion in the trial because he had less than a three-month life expectancy, his physician ultimately decided to administer the drug to him nonetheless. The medication was administered to Mr. Wright on a Friday, and the following Monday his doctor reported the following. When he left on Friday, Mr. Wright was febrile, gasping for air, and completely bedridden. By Monday, he was walking around, chatting happily, and spreading his message of good cheer to anyone who would listen. Hmm. Well, immediately, the physician checked on all the other patients who also received the first injection. But unfortunately, all of the others had either experienced no change or a change for the worse. Only, Mr. Wright was there, uh, only in Mr. Wright was there improvement. The tumor masses in those few days had decreased to half their previous size. After 10 days, Mr. Wright was discharged from the hospital, fully active and breathing normally. In fact, he continued his remarkable recovery until about two months later when reports arose in the newspaper about the drug's dismal success rate. That report undermined Mr. Wright's confidence and then led to a relapse. During that time that he relapsed, Mr. Wright was told by his doctor that he shouldn't believe the newspapers and that the original ejection had decayed and it was substandard. 
The medical providers stretched the truth even further, and Mr. Wright was told that the hospital was being sent a fresh and extra potent new batch. In a few days, he would be one of the first to receive it. Two days later, Mr. Wright was injected with water. In response, he showed another remarkable recovery. In fact, his recovery was even more dramatic than his first. He exhibited a dramatic reduction in tumor size. He no longer needed his chest to be drained, and he was once again ambulatory. And before long, he was sent home. Now, that all sounds like a terrific Hollywood ending, but not quite. Uh Unfortunately, not long afterwards, the AMA, the American Medical Association, proclaimed in the press that the medication Mr. Wright received was a worthless drug. And after reading that report, he experienced his final relapse, was readmitted to the hospital, and passed two days later. Wow. Wow. Now, the story of Mr. Wright is true, and it highlights the double-edged power of suggestion. Now, I'm not saying to listeners that if you believe that a treatment is going to help you, it most certainly or undoubtedly will. But clearly, in his situation, because of his belief and his control of his mind, he had an impact on his body. And that was seen both when he was improving and when he was relapsing. Right. So it showed in... Oh, I'm sorry, because it, it showed how it, the mind worked on both accounts. It showed it how it worked when he was positive and thinking everything was working, and, he was, and then it also showed when he was, oh, no, the drug's not working, and then he fell the other way. So it's like... Yep, the mind you know. can work to either help you or it can work to harm you, and it's right. really important that people make a conscious effort to sort of direct their mind to the outcome that they want, because if they do, they're more likely to achieve that outcome. Okay, so you know there's a lot of listeners out there that are struggling with health concerns and or have loved ones that are, you know, fatal diseases or, you know, have been given many, many different, um, you know, prognosis. So what would you, I mean, you know, what would you say to them, someone that is going through something right now, you know, if it's post-surgery or just a diagnosis, that they could, you know, they're, you know, they're going through the therapy, but that would help them to move more into this positive uh, frame of mind. Well, really the basis of all this mind-body medicine and how you can get it to actually benefit you rather than harm you really lies in the understanding of the fight-or-flight response. Now, the fight-or-flight response was first identified in the early 1920s and later expanded upon in the 50s and 60s. And during that time researchers were able to show that people or individuals can be trained to control their physical responses that were previously considered involuntary, such as their blood pressure or their heart rate. Later on in the 70s, more information came about about the relaxation response and more physiological changes could be elicited through relaxation. And this really is the basis. The relaxation response really forms the basis of mind-body practices such as meditation and yoga. By participating in these mind-body practices as well as others, we have the ability to decrease our heart rate, our respiratory rate, and our blood pressure in a way that can then benefit our body in its healing process. Okay. So by living this lifestyle or adopting this lifestyle more on a, on a, and I would assume obviously a more regular basis, you know, every day and making it a practice that we always talk about, um, will just put them in a better frame of mind and put their body obviously, you know, physically with the heart rate and everything in a better 
Like, I guess what I'm thinking is I'm, I'm thinking of one person that I know and, you know, um, she's going through um, cancer. And so clearly she, she has to go in, I believe it's every other week for chemo. And so these, obviously it's not going to feel good and there's going to be um, side effects. So you can't necessarily change those things. But, you know, I guess adding all of these proponents to the mind-body practice will only encourage her to have the best outcome. Would you? Absolutely. I've seen okay. many patients who actually are on very difficult regimens. And I can tell you hands down from experience and seeing those patients that, and we can all pretty much, if we think back to ourselves when we're ill or our family members or people that we know or as healthcare providers and healers, people that we've treated, Attitude really has a lot to do with it. You can approach your weekly or your biweekly chemotherapy treatment, and you know it's going to be uncomfortable and you may experience some unpleasant side effects. You can have nausea. You can have vomiting. Um, you can have weakness. You can have fatigue. But we all know that when we go into that um, atmosphere with this idea of knowing what we're going to experience and dreading it or becoming anxious about it or reacting to it rather than accepting it that the outcome or the side effects are more severe and more uncomfortable Mm. the same person can go into that treatment regimen and say okay well all right i might be nauseous tomorrow i may feel unwell and really when you compare how well unwell they're feeling there's a marked difference same treatment, same person, the only difference is how they approach it with their mind. Right. So the people that, so would you say it's not necessarily a belief, but it's more of a practice? Because it's not like, you know, it's not something you have to, it's not a belief, right, a belief system. And I get this a lot with Reiki. Like people will say to me things, and I'm just going to use this as an example. Um, A lot of times I'll get, well, will it work? (laughs) And, you know, it's such a broad question because Reiki will work on so many different levels. And I know there's a lot of Reiki practitioners out there that are listening. So Reiki will work on the physical. Reiki will work on the emotional. Reiki will work on the spiritual. And so it's always for the highest good. And so, yes, it's always working. Now, will the outcome be exactly what they want and how they want it, but they're approaching it as part of an integrative care. So I do have many people that are in the process of post-surgery or chemo, you know, cancer. And, um, you know, it really is, and it's not necessarily a belief in Reiki, but it's an open ability to have this practice to allow the energy, to receive the energy. You know, also they are meditating and have mindfulness practices and yoga practices. So... Yeah, I guess it's moving away from a belief system, but more of a practice every day, consistent. Absolutely. There's definitely the belief component. I mean, honestly, if you don't believe that something you're going to do is going to help you, then doing it is not going to help you. So there is Mm -hmm. a belief component. But the practice is the most important part because the practice of centering yourself, um, of controlling your thoughts, of sort of instituting or initiating a relaxation response where you can, um, through repetition of a word or a sound or a phrase, um, get your heart rate to slow down, get your oxygen um, requirement to be less, get your blood pressure under control, you can actually affect a, a change in your brain that can help rewire the event and the course of the events that are about to come so that it's less unpleasant. And through practicing that, passively returning to that, every time you're 
interrupted or every time you're reminded of the discomfort can actually help to bring on that relaxation response and bring you back to a place. I mean, there's good data now to show and to support that these aspects of people's physiology can be affected. It's documented and it's demonstrable over and over again. It's not just a belief, but by practicing you can actually benefit your health. Wow. Now, do you feel that integrative health will be in all different areas of, of medicine. Like, do you see integrative health in more than, is it concentrated in, say, I don't know, I'm just going to use this for example. Is, would it be more concentrated currently now in, say, geriatric or oncology or cardiology or gynecology? Like, do you, do you see that integrative medicine can be for all areas of medicine, or do you feel like, it's going to take hold in one area and then kind of like find its way to the others. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I actually have to say that in my program there are 72 fellows and they encompass all areas. There are providers, mostly physicians, and they encompass all areas of medicine, including you know obstetrics and gynecology like myself and women's health, but even um, – people who um, practice primary internal medicine or subspecialties of internal medicine. There is a a very large demand and interest in oncology um, to sort of help with cancer treatment and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the effects of the cancer treatment and uh, dealing with the illness itself. So there's a lot of oncologists. Psychiatry has a very high demand. So really it's encompassing all sorts of aspects of medical care, even pediatrics. I really think that um, the public is beginning to demand a more active role in their care, mm-hmm. especially with respect to chronic disease. We've seen how in this country we're failing. I mean, the chronic right. diseases are there, and people you know, are being treated, but they're not being healed, and they're not getting better. So with respect to preventative disease, Integrative medicine really has an implication in, in all areas of medical care. How about trying to work on the mind-body and controlling your health before you get sick so that you right. have the greatest chance and opportunity of healing yourself once you are sick? Right, which is amazing. I, you know, it brought you, you just reminded me of my show, well, two shows ago when I had Tina on, uh, Tina Marie on, and she was talking about her son, Danny. And when Danny was going through his cancer treatment at nine years old, and the doctor would say, you have to do this and you have to do that. And it was so frustrating. And she wrote about it in her book, how she, she had to be an advocate because it was almost like whatever he said went or using him as an example. But to have an integrative plan, it seems like it's more of a conversation. It's more of the patient, you know, talking to the physician and it becoming more of a conversation. I mean, there's so many people. We kind of give up our, God, I don't know. It's like I, I've seen this with so many people with their parents now elderly, and they just say, oh, you know, I don't, we'll just do whatever he said, or we'll go to that hospital. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, there's got to be more of a conversation here. It has to open more to our wanting to, to just take care of our own health and have somebody to really listen to us and rather just be the end all. Do you know what I'm saying? And I know I'm talking to a doctor here, but you know. No, absolutely, 
Absolutely. Yeah. You're 100% correct. And there's, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but there really is this subpopulation of providers that want that partnership. They want that conversation. Uh, really, um, it's, it's a rather new idea and philosophy to include the patient in the treatment plan, but it's clear that that's how the patient will benefit the most. Um, they have an ability to weigh in. They have an increased understanding of what's going on. I mean, certainly this is not applicable all the time, but this is really the new trend in medicine. I can tell you that my fellow colleagues who are in the program with me all, like me, have really Frustration is really a good word. I think the patients are frustrated and the providers are frustrated as well. It's We're failing to a certain extent, and there's got to be a better way. And, you know, they always say that people are stronger in, in teams, and if you unite, you can do better. So there's this really this push now in the medical world for physicians and patients to work together for that one common goal. And a lot of the frustration that providers in the past have experienced was really the lack or uh, the perceived lack of um, their patients willing to change. If we can help them before they're ill to understand the importance of their participation in their health, then really it'll be, it'll be so much easier to help them actually change because it'll be natural. So more about or having more education on preventative, preventative health. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, right. The focus being on preventative is important, but that's not to say, I mean, mind-body practices like guided imagery, meditation, yoga, have shown consistent benefit in the data with cardiovascular health, blood pressure, um, treatment of cancer, chronic pain, arthritis, conditions that people already have. Even in the preoperative or postoperative care of a patient, instituting a mindfulness or a mind-body practice such as a meditation or a guided imagery can help a patient actually prepare for surgery and has been shown to help them actually improve or recover from surgery faster than those who don't. Right. Well, you know, you just hit on something that I'm so passionate about is about being in we, you know, Reiki or meditation, you know, and being in with people um, post-surgery and also in recovery because, and I know they do this now in a few hospitals and it's not as worldwide, but having Reiki energy healers and, and meditation, like you said, with people pre-op and post-op. And then especially in recovery too, because sometimes you, you're kind of in recovery and you're just kind of left and to have that, that handhold and, take you through. I mean, my hope and my passion, we've spoke about this many times, is to integrate this into hospitals in that surge, in the surgery. And I believe, is it Columbia Presbyterian? I don't know if you know this. I think Columbia Presbyterian does have some Reiki in the post Absolutely. Columbia yeah, Presbyterian yeah. has a very active integrative medicine program. Um, but there's a lot of institutions, academic institutions out there that are researching it, that are instituting it and implementing it. Um, there's other um, institutions in Manhattan, the um, Center for Health and Healing from at Beth Israel, which is now Mount Sinai. They have a whole um, center dedicated to integrative medicine where they do um, combined therapies in acupuncture, biofeedback, guided imagery, and um, sort of these mind-body practices along with their usual um, areas of expertise in cardiac, lung, rheumatology, 
um, and general um, internal medicine. Um, it, I think really the demand is increasing out there. Consumers are increasing their demand for something different, and there's a number of providers out there that are really asking for something different as well. And so there's a really large community that has been frustrated with the challenge in, challenges and limitations of the current healthcare system, and it, especially in treating ho- chronic health conditions. Um, the other thing is a lot of these mind-body practices, um, I'm not certainly not saying that these should be, you know, the sole way to treat medical problems. I mean, we all right. know that, you know, the evidence shows that traditional medical practices are needed, um, they're warranted, they're validated. This would be as an adjunct to traditional medical practices and can really increase their efficacy and increase their success. And really, there's no drawback to these mind-body practices and instituting them and doing it in an integrative fashion. They're safe. There's no side effects like medications or drugs. Um, They're cost-effective, and they empower the patient. The patients are then allowed to pay a more um, active role, especially when in the beginning of the disease or in the prevention state. Right. And we all know that empowerment is so important. I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, just when you're empowered, you are in such a better state of mind than when you're dispowered or you feel that this disease has taken away something from you and you're kind of victimized instead of saying, I'm empowered, I'm going to approach this and to the, you know, and have this, you know, approach. Um, so let me ask you let me ask you a question. I'm just for myself too. So what would be we've talked a little bit. If you were if someone had come to you if someone came to you and they were already given what is considered integrative? Like just go through it maybe as a list. Like meditation, you know, sure. what what thing yeah. Make it a little so bit So there's lots of mind body practices. Integrative medicine um is sort of a broader um field. Mind-body practices are sort of a subset of integrative medicine. And some of the mind-body practices that you can do are biofeedback, where you can learn to actually control your heart rate and your respiratory rate and bring it down to a more relaxed level. And that can assist you. um, Just knowing how to do that can assist you during times of stress or can assist you during times of receiving treatment. There's um, guided imagery, like rather than focusing, and we do this a lot in the pediatric population, really unknowingly, but more and more people are really making it a point, like inserting an IV instead mm-hmm. of actually going through the, you know, the rote um, mechanism for inserting the IV, which we all know is painful. It's a pain prick. Instead of just going through that sort of a distraction, using guided imagery as a distraction to help people focus on something more pleasant, while they're undergoing that, and that definitely has been shown to help decrease the discomfort or the pain or the anxiety associated with it. Then there's practices that people can participate in on a day-to-day basis, like you were discussing before, meditation practices, um, breathing practices, mindfulness practices. Um, There's really a whole host of them, and what the integrative medical doctor does when they're trying to implement a treatment plan is they use all the usual uh, recommendations that they would prescribe, like medications or interventions like surgery, and they would use these mind-body practices to help complement them. So if somebody like that cancer patient we were discussing earlier, we know that that patient has to do their chemotherapy weekly or biweekly, we can assist them to, to learn or to begin a meditative practice or a breathing practice that can help them get through that day of their treatment and the side effects that follow it afterwards with greater ease 
more control, less stress, hmm. and more benefit. So each person would have, depending on the person, depending on who the person is, not just their, not just their disease, but the integrative plan would be based really individually, right? Absolutely. That okay. is the biggest benefit of integrative medicine is that you're not treating diseases, you're treating people. And because every person is different, not only their genetic makeup, not only their disease, but also their disposition, their personality, their support system, their environment, all of those factors get taken into account. So in the past, medical providers would recommend, you know, uh, a certain a certain set of tools, for lack of a better word, to treat a certain disease. What the integrated medical doctor does is they take those tools and they go through it one by one and think, well, this one would work for this person because they're very motivated, or this one would not work for this person because they lack the support to go to a yoga studio on a regular basis and start a practice, or this one would not work because there's a financial burden. So uh, an integrated provider will take into account all of the aspects of that person's health, their life, and their disease state to come up with an individualized plan. So really, when you're seeing an integrative medical doctor, no two plans or treatment regimens are the same. They can be very similar, but because no two people are the same, no two plans will be exactly the same. Right. So their intake is going to be different, and they're basing it on the whole person, right, this whole you know, body, mind, soul, body, mind, spirit connection and where they're coming from. And like you said, like some people might not do well with, um, like you said, some people, yoga, that may not be their thing or they may not, they might, for their limitations, they might have physical limitations that can't do that. Or perhaps, um, you know, there's so, you know, I like that approach where, again, it just, it reminds me again of like, you know, working together and I always, I, I go back to so many things and so many stories. I mean, I remember, I'll kind of just take you back to something, you know, my mother-in-law passed in 2001, and it was really challenging for us. She was in oncology, and we knew she was getting to um, to the end of her life and struggling with this, with this um, disease. And I just remember feeling, um, and of course I was a daughter-in-law, and I, I missed her dearly, but I didn't have a lot of say. And I just remember the family, um, she had three sons, um, my husband being the youngest, and obviously my father-in-law, and they really wanted to ask the doctor questions. It was like, whatever the doctor said, that was it. And I, it was always frustrating to me. It was like, well, well, what do you mean? Like, ask more, like, talk, you know. And, and I remembered, and it's not that, honestly, I think that's just because there's so many times we've been trained or I don't want to say trained, but we're used to, well, the doctor said to do this, so that's what we're doing. Or we would, you know, I would say, well, you know, he's, she's uncomfortable. Well, he's going to do his rounds later. Like, you know, that might just be a time issue. But there were so many things. It's like, like we put so much in their hands, and there was never this, this work together. It was never this conversation. And it almost felt like um, my father-in-law never wanted to, you know, it was almost like they were – just so above. They knew everything. We knew nothing. And it was so frustrating for me. And, you know, I feel like I've learned so much since then. And I'm more in an integrative practice in my own life and meditation and so forth since that time. So I think I would approach things differently. But, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard for people to to really 
adopt to whatever, you know, depending on the doctor, so-called, that they have for their family member. So Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I would have to agree with you 100%. Um, I think that, and this opens up certainly a whole other topic for discussion about, you know, the limitations on doctors' time and reimbursement and how um, the business of medicine is approached. It's a very complicated system, but I think that this is really the basis for for people looking for more and asking for more and demanding more in terms of physicians' time and their commitment and their partnership to their patients, where it, where a patient should and their family should feel comfortable to be able to ask questions and participate in the conversation or the dialogue regarding the treatment and the diagnosis rather than feel like they must be subservient or just adhere to whatever is being done. Um, and, of course, not all medical providers would agree with me, but I can tell you that this is certainly a trend. The problem is that the way the business of medicine is conducted is it's really, really, it's time-consuming. It's right. really, really time-consuming to have this kind of relationship with patients. And although it's important because it's time-consuming and because the business of medicine is sort of driven by lots of pressures and stressors, it's not always possible. I mean, certainly you knew, you know this about me, that my biggest passion is really trying to change that. For me, I've always had this desire um, to make it a partnership and really have more of a, a teaching role in educating my patient and working together and letting them take ownership for their successes and helping them work through and accept the treatment failures. But for for me, the biggest passion lies in affecting medical training and helping those who are learning how to be healers and providers and doctors, how to take into account those same things that I find to be very important, regardless of how much time it takes or how little time there is or how little dollars there are. Um, I think everybody can see that really healthcare is really not, it's really not its best. There's always room for improvement. So how would people find, you know, instead of saying you're a regular doctor, I don't know what other term to use, instead of saying, you know, <laughs> you know like a regular doctor and your integrative doctor, is there, is there a, uh, yeah, like where would they go for that, um, you know, find a doctor that would help them integratively? Or is there a site or is there, I mean, how does the average person connect to an integrative care? Well, that's an excellent question because I have to tell you that I think the average person doesn't even know what an integrative doctor is, <laughs> okay? Um, so a regular doctor or a traditional doctor would be like probably who most of the people or most of the listeners or almost everybody out there goes to see. And an integrative doctor is someone who's um, either developed a personal interest or, like myself, has decided to undergo additional training to help seek out alternative therapies that can complement traditional medicine in a way that can be um, least invasive, most cost-effective, and beneficial to a patient. Now, there's no, right now, I would say there's probably no good one source for how to find somebody, but I think that clearly anybody could... um, just by probing their their current provider, just by Mm -hmm. asking some questions, can see if they are open to integrative practices and alternative therapies like uh, mind-body practices or supplements in addition to or instead of medications and pharmaceuticals or um, herbs and things like that. There's certain different calibers of alternative therapies that you could introduce. And in the traditional medical education world, 
you're not really taught those alternative therapies. And so I can tell you in my previous life before I developed my own interest in integrative medicine, I didn't know a whole lot about those alternative therapies. And whenever I was given a question about it, I would either um, say I'm not familiar with that, so then you know clearly I'm not an integrative doctor because I'm not familiar with that, or I don't advise that because this is what I know, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, X, Y, and Z, or let me look that up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, right. So um, an integrative doctor is one who, independently of that day-to-day question from a particular patient, is seeking out learning and trying to acquire the knowledge to answer those questions as soon as they come. And we all know the doctor who's going to say, oh, no, acupuncture mm-hmm. is not going to help you with infertility. Right, right. Versus the doctor who's going to say, well, it may help. Some studies have shown that this, this, and this can happen, and that may cause that and that to happen, and maybe you could see a benefit. So really I think that if anybody is trying to seek out an integrated medical provider um, and they currently have someone that they see that they like, they can begin to ask questions. Well, how do you feel about alternative therapies? Do you know anything about alternative therapies? Do you know what integrative medicine is? Um, and that could be a good start. Certainly, you know, we all like to get on the web and Google. Um, right. If you go to um, my fellowship's website at the University of Arizona. Um, so hold on. They, I'm going I'm to um, put that in the chat room. Let me see if I can get that in there. So go ahead. Tell me the um, address, and I'll just put it in in case anybody's on the chat so they can get to it. Yeah. The um, address is www. Second. It's okay. Integrative Medicine. Dot Arizona. Dot edu. And if you go to that website, and there's several websites like this because there's lots of integrative medical centers um, throughout the country, there's a link to find a provider. Okay. Say that again. And integrative can, Medicine. I'm sorry, Luz. It's okay. It's um, Integrative Medicine. Dot Arizona. Dot edu. Thank you. And along the tabs up at the top, you can click on search for a provider or there's a patient column um, looking for treatment or information. And there's um, a database of recent graduates from this program in your geographic area. So if you're in New York, you can click on New York. If you're in Arizona, you can click on Arizona. And they give you the... um, provider's name, their contact information, and their area of expertise, and their credentials. So really, there's uh, about a 1,000 people out there now who have graduated from this program who are actively practicing integrative medicine, and year after year after year, they're graduating more and trying to get the word out and trying to get um, more and more access to individuals who are seeking a more holistic approach to their health care. That's great. I'm just so glad to see that and hear that so many, it's, we're moving into the right direction. I think it's time, don't you? <laughs> oh, it's long overdue. I mean, in ancient times, um, they knew that the mind and the body were connected. And then sort of uh, when they separated the mind and the body was when we made a lot of advances in the scientific part of medicine. But if you really look at it, people are still sick. These diseases are still out there. We haven't really cured anything. We're just treating it. So putting the focus on preventing it is definitely the key, and the way to do that is to bring the mind and the body back together. Now, I know for you personally, your 
your passion, one of your passions is women's health. So can you want to talk a little bit about what you foresee for yourself, maybe um, working integratively for women's health, what you would like or see or what your, what your vision could be? Well, uh, for me right now, my, my biggest, I have two sort of passions in terms of women's health and, um, and really in terms of medicine altogether. It's not really specific to women's. But in general, nutrition as medicine, I think, is a big overlooked thing in um, the medical community today. Really, what you are what you eat. And demanding a higher quality food with uh, out preservatives, eating organic, eating clean, whole foods, um, all spectrums of the rainbow when you're picking, um, when you're selecting what to consume rather than processed foods with mm-hmm. a, high, a long shelf life and a lot of additives that are really not good for you. Um, using what you eat to help you be healthier. Um, that's been a big focus of mine. I think that the traditional medicine um, programs during the time that I was trained, and maybe that's changed now, really didn't spend enough time teaching nutrition to doctors. And I think um, listeners may agree that when they go to the doctor and ask a nutrition question, they often just get a referral to a nutritionist. Hmm. And that's really because there's a lot of knowledge lacking in that area. So for me, one of my big interests is um, being healthy from the onset by by looking at what you're putting into your body. And if you're putting in good things, expecting a good outcome. The other focus is really on stress management and stress reduction. I mean, it's clear out there that as a society, we are all extremely stressed. And this stress that we put upon ourselves with our, you know, 20-page to-do lists and running around like crazy um, keeps us from really being mindful of what's going on. It keeps us in a constant fight-or-flight response where our cortisone levels are sky high and our body is not adjusting and balancing to it. It doesn't even know how to anymore because we're chronically running on empty. We're chronically rushing, rushing, rushing. So for women in particular who always have a lot on their plate, who are taking care of themselves and taking care of their families, taking care of their partners, um, for everybody um, who's dealing with stress, really trying to control trying to help control that stress is, I think, a big focus. So I would say those are the two areas um, that I'm most passionate about in women's health, but they certainly apply to to men in addition to women. Right. And I can can definitely say a lot of the people, a lot of people that I see in for yoga, meditation, obviously Reiki, energy healing, is stress. It's the, and it's mostly women. I happen to see mostly women that are caretakers that have not taken care of themselves, that are completely stressed out, overburdened, overworked, overscheduled, and they get to a point where, you know, there's, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're getting ill or they're having different issues. Um, you know, I know we, it's another whole topic for another time, but we've talked about, you know, how women have, um, you know, we're just so low on our on our hormones, like our they're, they're you know crazy, and so we have all these things that are happening to us as women, and of course men too. But I do see many more women um, in my field than I do men, and one of the biggest culprits are stress. It's just oh, not absolutely. taking care of themselves, right? Because we're yeah. always about. I always say to everybody, I my biggest thing is you have to put your oxygen mask on first, and you know they laugh, but that's absolutely. really true. 
Absolutely. Right. Well, I have my own mantra is it's not selfish to do self-care. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, Can you say that again? Yep. It's not selfish to do self-care. Beautiful. Um, for whatever reason, women as a subset of society are constantly putting themselves aside for their families, their children, their jobs, um, their community, um, you name it, there's an obstacle in the way of doing something for yourself at least once every day. I'm even willing to say multiple times every day. Uh, should I do this for me or should I do that for them? And uh, in general, as a subpopulation, women tend to put themselves aside and put themselves aside and put themselves aside and then things back up. And uh, what they find is that they've neglected themselves and now they're in a state of maybe not the best health, not the best physical condition, um, not the best, um, I would say, level of confidence that they mm -hmm. could be in. And all of these things are interrelated into their health. Yeah, it's very hard being anybody in this world today, but certainly <laughs> women have a lot of extra stress. So I always, my mantra is, it is not selfish to do self-care. Oh, I like that. And I'm once post people that. realize that it's necessary and not selfish, even just a little step. I once sat was in a um, talk, and someone said to me, "You know how you make change? You make change one tiny step every little day." Right, right. If it's you like don't one... take one step each day, you'll just be doing the same thing over and over again. It doesn't require saying, "Okay, you know, I know there's listeners out there who are like, well, I don't have time to meditate." Okay, don't meditate. Or how much time do you think you really need? Five One minutes. minute? Two minutes? <laughs> two minutes. Right. Five minutes? I'll tell you, yeah, five minutes is great, but you'll have somebody who will say they don't even have five minutes. Well, then you know what? Make it one minute. If you do one minute today and you do one minute tomorrow, by the end of the week, you've done more minutes than you've ever done, and you've made a change. And the more right. time you invest in a practice like that, the more benefits you'll see and the more you'll want to give. Right. Well, I had, there's a saying, and I won't, uh, I think it goes something like, if you have, if you don't have five minutes, do you have five minutes to feel like crap? You know? So, so oh, like, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, think about all the things we spend more than five minutes doing, complaining, <laughs> getting angry, getting frustrated, getting nervous. Right. You right. know, all of those things contribute to making our day that much more difficult and making our life that much harder. I know. So, so we have, I'm just going to, there may, I'm going to check our switchboard. We have, believe it or not, we have nine minutes left. So I'm, if anyone is out there, I do some, see some people on the switchboard. If you would like to ask a question, you need to hit pound one. So I believe that's pound one, press pound one, and then we will get you on the air. Some people are just listening, and that's absolutely fine. So I don't know unless you hit a Q button, pound one. Um, I'm just going to keep checking the switchboard. Um, is there anything else you want to uh, tell our listeners today, Lucy? Any, um, anything about you yourself, integrative, any programs that you have coming up? Or um, I would. You can I guess I would just say to be on the lookout uh, if anybody has any questions on integrative medicine and uh, would like to ask me specifically or how to find an integrative provider and would like some help. They can reach out to me. I'll give you my email. They can reach me at Doctor D R Lucy L U C Y Gade G A D E at gmail dot com. 
and I'm happy to um, respond to any inquiries or address any comments or questions. I would say to uh, look out for me in the upcoming months. Uh, you'll be seeing and hearing more and more from me as I advocate for better health for everybody and um, for our society. Oh, thanks, Luce. I'm so glad to have you on. I know this is going to be the first of many shows we'll have you on about different topics. So I am going to post everybody that link to uh, Integrative Health. I'm going to, I did it on the chat room, but I'm also going to do it on the event page of Facebook. I know a lot of you do work during the day, so you'll be listening on the recording. And then, Lucy, you just want to stay on the line. I'm going to pull a card. I always pull a card, a universal card for our listeners. So let's uh, shuffle the card. And I'm going to pull a card for this week. So I'm pulling from Wisdom of the Hidden Realm. Okay. And the card is the Keeper of the Scales, and it's Fairness and Balance. So sort of what we've been talking about, about fairness and balance, working with doctors, having a conversation, keeping everything open. So I love this card. And the theme of this card is really about making conscious choices that create balance in your life. So I love how the cards like like to relate to our topic. And so work with spirit and allow your highest intention to keep things fair and balanced. I also feel like the balance is talking about not just legal balance, or I do see a scale of legality and balances, but balancing your time, your energy, your obviously your health, and connecting body, mind, and spirit. So I feel like this card had really jumped out to us today to keep everything fair and balanced and take care of ourselves. So Thank you so much, Lucy, for being my guest. I know that this is, again, like I said, the first of many, many shows, and we'll have so much more to talk about as you go through your amazing fellowship, so we're so excited for you. Thank you so much, Tina, for having me. You're welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure being able to reconnect with you, and I hope that I was helpful to your listeners and would love to come back anytime. Great. Okay. All right. So I'll see you soon, and thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was so wonderful. I know this is going to, like I said, the first of many that we will have Lucy on the show. So continue to enjoy your last week of August. I hope that it finds you in a beautiful frame of mind as we move into the fall. My show will be two weeks from now, and I will be posting that very shortly. You can always find me. Um, My new email is tinaconroy111 at gmail.com. And I'm at practice, bodymindsoul.com as well, for energy healing and readings, angel readings, intuitive guidance readings. So have a beautiful, pleasant day wherever this finds you. Many blessings. They said you wouldn't make it so far And ever since they said it, it's been hard But never mind the night you had to cry Cause you had never let it go 